Okay, good to back. It's good to be back here in in Mansi. Once again, this is it's our third or fourth time in the Saratskan home. Fourth. It's the fourth time. So it began by making fun of Mansi, and look, now uh, now it's four times already. It's a, uh, the end, Baruch Hashem, of a very long trip. I was in Los Angeles and San Diego, and uh, I was in New York for Shabbos. Now here, Baruch Hashem, leaving back there to Israel on Monday. Just to speak out a, uh, a big concept in a small way, in a couple of minutes, and uh, also it's good to see some old familiar faces. Thank you for everyone who came. Um, Pasuk in this week's parsha says, V'yikra Yaakov al-Banov, Yaakov called for his sons and he said, Gather yourselves and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen at the end of days. And Rashi explains, Rashi says, and I'll tell you, The Yaakov Avinu wanted to reveal when the end of time was going to be, when Mashiach was going to come. And the Shechina departed from him. And instead, he began to say other things, and he gave all of the brachas to all of the shvatim. So the, the question is, what exactly was the Havamina, and what exactly was the Maskana? In other words, what was Yaakov Avinu trying to accomplish? What did he want to do? What was his Havamina? I'm going to tell the shvatim when the case was, is going to be. I'm going to tell them what's going to be at the end. So why did he want to do that? Why is that important for us to know? And once HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to him that you can't do that, so what is that? Now it's like a plan B. Like it, what, what exactly is the nature of this plan B? So now we're going to gather together and I'm going to give all of you brachos. So does that plan B have anything to do with plan A? Does you understand the question? In other words, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted Yaakov Avinu to be able to reveal the kates, what was Yaakov Avinu hoping to accomplish? And now that he didn't, is this like a completely separate plan? Or is this like, since HaKadosh Baruch Hu told us that we can't have plan A, so now there's a plan B. Is plan B worse? Is plan B better? Is plan B different? What exactly is going on over here? Okay? At the end... At the end, I don't know if I explained that well, but it's very late at night for me, and I've been traveling a long time. Did anyone understand what I just said? Yeah? Okay. Enough of you. Yeah? At the very end, so Rashi, the Pasuk says, Kol Eile Shifte Yisrael Shneimasar, V'zois Asher Diber Lehem Avihem, V'yivarech Esam, Ish Asher Kiberchaso Beirech Esam. These are the tribes of Yisrael, these are the twelve tribes of Yisrael. This is what Yaakov Avinu said to them, and he gave them brachas. Each one got the blessing that he was blessed. So Rashi explains, what does it mean that each one got the blessing that he was blessed? So Rashi says, one of the explanations that Rashi says, one moment please. He gave them the bracha that they were destined to get. What, what else would they have gotten? As Rashi is explaining, each one got the bracha that they were supposed to get, as opposed to what? Yaakov Avinu was going to give them a bracha that they weren't supposed to get? In other words, there's something very strange going on over here. Yaakov Avinu gathers them together. He gives them brachos. What brachos? The brachos, that's for them. 
what other bracha would he give them? The bracha that's not for them? Doesn't make any sense. So I, I want to share with you a very deep idea here. I'll try to spell it out a little bit together. If a person needs to go somewhere, a person is trying to get Lamashal uh, from the five towns to Mansi. So I, I have to share with you, I, 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 like, I like Mansi now, it's a nice place, Mansi. I'm not I'm saying anything negative about Mansi. But I don't know why they don't have lights. Why don't they have, is it, is it just me? Why don't they have lights here? So there's a certain amount of amuna that I have in, in ways. But I'll tell you why it's it's amuna. Because you ever have this where you type in an address on ways, and then halfway through the drive you wonder if you put in the right address. and You, you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, am I going to the right place at all? So you check to see in the middle of your drive. And I know there's Sherry Lane and there's North Sherry Lane. And, and then I was on the phone with somebody because I was maybe I'll stay in Muncie. And he's like, I don't know where North Sherry Lane is. I know where Sherry Lane is. I'm like, no, they're right next to each other. It's a whole thing. So I'm driving, and it's very dark outside. And I'm, I'm having some sort of, like, I don't call it a panic attack, but some sort of anxiety that I'm having that maybe I'm going to the wrong place. And I see a sign for Bear Mountain. And I remember, like, <laughs> Bear Mountain was where we went in high school to ski or something. I don't know, you're like, maybe to take a teal. So I'm like, I'm definitely not in the right place. And then I saw that bridge, and I was like, I think the last time I remember that bridge, and it's like, that bridge is lit up. So I was like, at least I feel like I'm driving in a lit up place. <laughs> when you're going to a destination, you have to know the destination you're going to. It's like an obvious thing. If you're, imagine somebody gets in the car. Where are you going? We're, going? we're going to the place. Which place? The place. That's not something, that's not something you can guess at. So if you want to get somewhere... You have to know exactly where it is that you're going. Not only do you have to know how to get to the place that you're going, the first thing that you need to get is, where are we going? You need an address, right? It's like a Lamashal. Imagine if, uh, if you said to somebody, um, how do I get from, let's say you're going to the Tachana Merkazi in Yerushalayim. So it's your beginning of seminary, you don't know which way you're going, and you go, how do I get to the Tachana Merkazi? And somebody goes, how do you think you get to the Tachana Merkazi? <laughs> Like, look inside of yourself to find your way to the Tachana Merkazi. That's not a very good, that's not nice. <laughs> like, you tell them which bus to get on. So, Yaakov Avinu's plan A is a very simple plan A. He's saying, all of existence is to bring the world to its ultimate tikkun, its ultimate rectification. When, when Adam Arishon sinned, the world was a very different place before he sinned. The Rambam describes that Adam Marishon lived in a world of truth and falsehood, not right and wrong. In sinning, Adam Marishon brought within himself this bechina of toivera. So he ate from the Eitz Hadas toivera. So he brought good and evil inside of himself. And now he has like, we as a people have a moral question when it comes to the world. Should I do the right thing? Should I do the wrong thing? Not should I do the true thing or should I do the false thing? That means from that point on, all of existence, the whole goal, the Tachlis Abriya now, since the point of Adam Marishon, is to bring the world back to its original point of origin, like it was before Adam Marishon sinned. So one way of thinking about this is imagine you are on the top of a mountain and you pushed the ball down the wrong way. So now you have to go all the way to the bottom of the mountain, you have to pick up the ball and you have to walk all the way back up to the top of the mountain, and now you have to push the ball off the other way, because that's the way you're supposed to be going. So Adam Rishon really was supposed to choose the right thing. He chose the wrong thing. All of history now devolved 
into this thing that we have right now, and our job is to get the world back to its original point, and then we're going to choose right, and Mashiach is going to come. So when Yaakov Avinu is bikesh legalos as when Yaakov Avinu says, I want, to, I want to reveal to you the end, he's not stam saying, I think what a lot of us think, the way I grew up, he's not stam saying, I want to tell you when the show is over. I want to tell you, like, now we're done, now we're good. It's not what he's, like, in the year 6,000, Mashiach is going to come. There's not, there's not value in Yaakov Avinu saying when the show is going to be over. The show will be over when it's going to be over. It, Rashi means something much more sophisticated here. I want to show you what the end is. You can't start the journey unless you know what the end is. So Yaakov Avinu, as he's about to die, especially because Yaakov Avinu's whole bechina is the bechina of future. You know this? Just say this out very quickly. Avram Avinu is the bechina of what was. Yitzchak is the bechina of what is. Yaakov is the bechina of what will be. That's why Avram Avinu, when he's born, so Avram Avinu is the first person to look back in history. He's the first person to say, Adam Arishon sinned. And therefore, since Adam Arishon sinned, I'm going to take upon myself the burden, which is what all of us, being the progeny of Avram Avinu, have. I'm going to take upon myself the burden of rectifying the sin of Adam Arishon. So that's Avram Avinu was the bechina of what was. Yitzchak is the bechina of right now. That's why Yitzchak doesn't talk very much in the Torah. Because whenever you're living in the present, there's not much communication that occurs. Because you just experience what is in this moment. What do you talk about? If you ever think about it, what do you talk about? Whenever there's speech involved, what are you talking about? You're not talking about what's happening right now. You're always talking about what was, or you're talking about what will be. Right? So if, let's say, you get together, I was just with a uh, Friday night, some of my old friends from high school walked in to Woodmere to hear the shir that I was giving Friday night. So it was very embarrassing, because like your, your old high school friends are the last people that you want to be there, because they, they knew you when, you know? So it's like, some people know me as uh, Mordechai Berg, and some people know me as Matt Berg. So these guys know me as like Spitz Matt Berg, like 16, 15, 16-year-old 16 Matt Berg. So I walk in, and specifically it's these two like, guys who are very close friends, and I walk in, I look at them right away, and I burst out laughing. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to give this year with like a straight face, because they're going to be in the back the whole time going... Because <laughs> you know, like, I know these guys, and they were. No, they were very respectful, but not at all. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so you're always, so afterwards we're talking about, like, do you remember when this happened in high school? Do you remember? Anytime you're talking, you're talking about what was, or you're talking about what will be. If you're in the moment, you don't have to talk about anything. It's like, you want to talk about the thing that's happening right now? You need like a play-by-play for your life? You ever have that, like, uh, we have one rabbi in yeshiva that does this. I, I think it's the funniest thing in the world. He's in charge of Tiulim. So whenever we go on a Tiul, he always uploads the pictures of the Tiul to the WhatsApp group on the Tiul, like while it's happening. So I always think it's like very funny. Like, hey guys, here's the thing that you're doing literally right now as you're doing it. I'm like, you need the pictures in like a week from now so the guys can go, oh yeah, that was awesome. You don't need the pictures right now because it's happening right now. It's not like a move. So Yitzchak doesn't speak very much on the Torah because Yitzchak is the bechina of, of living in the present, right now. Mashiach King Yaakov Vinu is the bechina of what will be. What does it mean to be the bechina of what will be? There's two ways of thinking about this. One way of thinking about the future is a person that plans for the future. Lamashal, uh, let's say a person says, I want to live uh, till I'm 120 years old. So they say, how much money do I need to have in order to be able to live until I'm 120 years old. 
So I need to put away $5 million in the bank so that I could be making $120,000 interest a year, and that's how I'm going to survive. That's not the Bechina of living for the future. That's really planning right now in the present so that you'll have enough later. But that's really, that's really a hoiva thing. That's really right now. To be a future-oriented person means that I've structured something that's capable of lasting until the future. It's like, imagine... Um, it's, I have a good marshal for this. A, a, a Talmud of mine made a fortune of money in COVID tests. Like a, like, a, like a ridiculous fortune of money. Because what does a COVID test cost? It was like five bucks for a COVID test. But you remember when we had to have those like official COVID tests so that you could go to like JFK and hand them the official COVID test? So he was, they were charging like $180 for these tests. It was a $5 test. If you did like... 10 tests a day, you were making serious money. This guy was doing like 30 tests a day. He made like literally hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of COVID. That's not a business that has any longevity because eventually COVID is going to be over. Even though somebody just told me, they're like, yeah, don't go into that house, someone has COVID there. I'm like, I didn't know that was still a thing. Like, how do they know that they have COVID? It's like they have a cold and so they just assume it's COVID. They're like, no, they took a test. I'm like, there's still tests. Like people still I didn't know it was I didn't know it was a thing. But okay, to say there. So it's not a business. When you set up a business and you say, it's a COVID business, it's a COVID business, it's not built to last. Mashainkin, when somebody builds a company, they're not just putting away money so that they'll have in the future. They're designing the company in such a way that the company is structured for the future. So how do you know if you have a good company? If a if hundred years from now the company still exists, it means that the bones of the company, the foundation of the company was designed in such a way that it'll last. Let's bring it over to the realm of a relationship just to give it a little bit of a, a time to it. There, there's two ways of, of participating in a relationship. There's some people that they talk about relationship like putting away money. They're like... You have to have a good shanari shaina so that by the time you're 10 years in and you hate each other, but at least you have that good shanari shaina to draw from. You know what I mean? There's people that talk like that. They're like, it's good to have those beginning years. It's like a honeymoon. This way when things get hard, at least you could look back on those times. That's not a, that's not a relationship that's designed for the future. That's a relationship where you're putting something in the present so that in the future you'll have what to draw from. The real way to speak about Shanari Shaina is we're building the foundation of the relationship in such a way that 20 years from now the relationship will still be good. You hear the difference? Yaakov, when we say that Yaakov Avinu is the Bechina of the future, it means that Yaakov Avinu's job is to structure Klal Yisrael in such a way that we end up at our destination. So it's not Stam that Yaakov Avinu wants to reveal the end of days. Yaakov Avinu wants to reveal the end of days because the Yesod of Yaakov Avinu is to be able to be future-oriented. So that all of Klai Yisrael should be headed in the right direction so that one day we're going to arrive at our destination. So it makes sense that Yaakov Avinu is the one who wants to reveal the Kates. That's what he does. Does that make sense? So that's plan A. That sounds like a good plan. So now what's our question? Obvious question. So then why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu stop it? And it was, if everything we just said is true, that Yaakov Avinu wants to reveal the end of days because the whole Nakuda of Yaakov Avinu is to bring Klal Yisrael to their ultimate destination, to structure Klal Yisrael in such a way that we ultimately end up where we're supposed to be. So that sounds like a good plan. So then why does HaKadosh Baruch Hu take it away from him? And what's this plan be of giving everyone a bracha and gathering them around and giving them each one the bracha that's for themselves, that they're destined to have? So the idea is like this. 
the end of days is not a destination outside of oneself. And that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu stops Yaakov Avinu. In other words, earlier we gave the marshal of if you're going to the Tachanah Merkazi, it's not helpful to ask someone to look inside of themselves of how to get to the Tachanah Merkazi. For that you need directions. If Mashiach is a destination in space, if it's somewhere that we have to go, we have to go from Mansi to Eretz Yisrael. Then it makes sense to say that Mashiach is in Eretz Yisrael, so let's get everybody to Eretz Yisrael. Mashiach is not a destination in space. Mashiach is something that somebody discovers from within themselves. So for Yaakov Avinu to say, this is what the end of days looks like, in a certain way, it robs us of two things. Number one, it robs us of the journey. Number two, it robs us of the destination. I'll explain what I mean. There's a, there's a famous marshal. Do you remember when you were little and you had that, uh, that cocoon experiment in your class? Did they do that here where you were growing up? They did that when I was growing up. It's, it's, still, it's funny, the curriculum in third grade never changes. It's like all these developments in Chinuch, but at some point everybody just has like a cocoon, in their, with like a section of, the, you know, of cocoons. So there's a, there's a famous marshal of, of a third grade teacher that she has the caterpillars and she's doing that whole, there's like, so I don't even remember the words anymore. What do they call it when the caterpillar goes into the cocoon? I only remember photosynthesis. I don't remember. Metamorphosis. Is that what it's called? It's the metamorphosis? I don't remember. I, it's been a long time since third grade. So you're doing the whole lesson plan and, and, it's, and it's months, right? It's months until the caterpillar builds a cocoon and now all the cocoons are opening up. And so one little boy is waiting, and his cocoon is not opening up. And you have these beautiful butterflies that are coming out with reds and greens and yellows. But one little boy, he sees that his caterpillar is like stuck in the cocoon. Every single day he's waiting for his caterpillar to come out and be a beautiful butterfly. Every day it's not happening. So eventually the kid loses patience. It's two weeks later, so what does he do? So when the teacher isn't looking, he opens up the top, and he like opens up the cocoon. So when the butterfly comes out, it has no color to it. It's listless. It can barely fly. And the reason is because the butterfly develops its color and its strength by pushing its way out of the cocoon. What happens as a parent if you rob your child of the opportunity to discover its own being? There's a process that every one of us goes through. It's the process of becoming. As parents, the process of becoming, I want you to know this, it's very uncomfortable. You have, to, you have to watch your daughter. I've had to watch my daughters. I'm sure Bez Hashem, you'll have to watch your daughters. You have to watch your daughters make the mistakes that you don't want them to make. You know, every parent says, every parent says, I want to tell you what to do so that you don't make the same mistakes that I made at that age. But you only became the person that you are because you made the mistakes that you made at your age. So if you rob your child of the opportunity to make those mistakes, then the child loses the strength of becoming. Does that make sense? So if you see a child and the child is, let's say, struggling socially, it's okay to go over to the child and to give Eitzah. There's nothing wrong with giving a piece of advice. But if you say to the child, I'm no longer letting you hang out with that person, what have you robbed them of the opportunity of? You've robbed them of the opportunity to be able to recognize when somebody's a good friend and when somebody's not a good friend. There's, there's an important growth-oriented opportunity that exists within that I don't want to be that person anymore. 
it's, it's difficult because as a parent, you have to watch your kid make all the mistakes. But as they make the mistakes, they're in the process of learning. Why do we as parents not want our children to learn? Because there's vulnerability in learning. What happens if they make one too many mistakes? What happens if they make a mistake that they can't walk back from? Right? So we as parents, even though we know the right thing is for our children to be in the process of becoming, we're afraid of that process because what happens if? And then it's like, you know, like you'll, you'll see like the mother will say to the father, you're like, she keeps doing this. She's not going to get a shidduch because she's getting this reputation. Right? So you have, this, you have this conflict that you as a parent live with. On the one hand, the child is entitled to make the mistakes that they're making. It's a part of the process of becoming. On the other hand, the child doesn't necessarily know the consequences of their actions. So as a parent, you want to say, just stop it. But does that ever work? Does it ever, has, in the history of the world, has a parent ever said to a child who's misbehaving, just stop it, and the kid goes, yeah, I should probably stop it. Like, no, there was a reason the kid that was behaving that way was behaving that way to begin with. So for Yaakov Vinu to tell us where to go, in a certain way, it, it interrupts our process of learning how to go. As I, I'll give you an example of this, going back to the Marshall of Ways. What did people do before Ways? They developed a sense of direction. How many of us have a sense of direction? How many of us never needed to even develop a sense of direction because I just have ways? Why would it? It's like uh, Lamashal today, they're, they're have, there's like a serious conversation, even though it's a sick conversation, but there's a serious conversation going on in the world right now. Should we teach kids spelling? It's a real question. Because why should I teach you spelling if you're only going to use a computer and it's going to use spell check anyway? The answer, by the way, is because the brain develops, in case anyone ever asks you the question, the brain develops by learning how to spell. So robbing the kids of the opportunity to learning how to spell just because they're spell check, it actually minimizes our capacity to think. But if you never develop a sense of direction, it's not that you won't be able to go anywhere. You still have ways. But you as a person are chaser. So if Yaakov Avinu tells them, this is the destination, how will we ever learn to find the destination on our own? Think about, the, go back in your life, think about the times that you did something new. Think about the first time that you went to camp, sleepaway camp, let's say. How did you learn to survive in sleepaway camp? Of course there was structure within the sleepaway camp. But that first night, did you, did you have that first night where you cried, but you didn't want anyone to know that you were crying? You have that, yeah, okay, that was nice, by the way. Thank you for about the 80% of you that gave yourself away right now. I really appreciate it, yeah? That first night where you're like, I don't know if I could do this. How did you learn to do it? By not knowing if you could do it. And then what did you learn about yourself? Oh, I could do hard things. So on the one hand, it's very easy to tell somebody where the destination is. But if you tell them where the destination is, then they never learn how to arrive at a destination on their own. So you have to ask yourself, when that girl is in day one of seminary and she wants to go to the Tachanam Merkazit, there's nothing wrong with telling her how to get to the Tachanam Merkazit. It's a beautiful plan A. But if the goal of that conversation is not to tell her how to get to the Tachanam Merkazit, the goal of the conversation might be, I want you to become a person who learns to get around. If you, if you tell her how to get to the Tachanam Merkazit, what did you lose? She has no idea now how to get around. You might have gotten her to her destination, but that wasn't the goal of the conversation. 
So in plan A, if you unpack this, it's an unbelievable thing. In plan A, what was Yaakov saying? He was saying the goal is to get Klai Yisrael from point A to point B. What's HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying to him? No, the goal is not for Klai Yisrael to get from point A to point B. What's the goal? The goal is for Klai Yisrael to learn how to get from point A to point B. So you'll ask yourself, why is that? Why is it important for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to say to us, becoming is as important, if not more important, than the destination? So I'll, I'll explain it like this. I think this is the best way of explaining it. Is there, in a, in a relationship, is there a destination? If you're married... So what, what are we looking at here? Is the goal of a relationship that in 50 years' time this is where we should be? There, there's no such concept. What's the concept in a relationship? I don't know where we're going to be in 50 years, but I want to be in 50 years together with you wherever the destination is. Do you hear the difference? If HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us, go here, then it's not just that we're... Okay, so, you, so, you're, so you've been robbed of becoming. No, it's you've been robbed of becoming together with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this process. Nobody wants to be in a marriage where everything is like, like we do this and then we do this, even though it seems that life is structured like that, no? You always have that guy who's like on a plan. You know what I'm talking about? You know the plan? Like you go to DRS for high school, and then you go to NCSY Kolo summer after 10th grade, and then you go to Kaylee summer after 11th grade, and then you go to this yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, and then you go to YU, and you go to Sai Sim School of Business so that you could become an accountant, so you could live in Woodmere, so that you could send your kids to DRS, NCSY Kolo after 10th grade, Kaylee after 11th grade. Then they could go to a certain yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael until they go to Sai Sim School of Business and become an accountant and raise their kids in Woodmere. You know the plan that I'm talking about? Everyone has a version of that plan. That's just one. Everyone has like a different version of that plan. There's something not exciting about being on a plan. What's exciting about being in a relationship? The excitement of being in a relationship is I have no idea where we're going. The twists and turns of life are fascinating, especially if you're willing to suffer. If you're willing to suffer with each other, then the journey of the relationship is much more exciting than the destination. When you look at an elderly couple, and they're 50 years out, you know what they've been through together? It's not where they've arrived. That's not the point. It's where they've, what they've been through together. The time that, the, that their kid woke up in the middle of the night and said, my stomach is hurting, and, and it was appendicitis, and they rushed to the hospital, and they were in the hospital for two days. And you know, I'm talking about like all of that stuff, all of the, like, she's flunking out of high school, and, and she's failing her tests, and we need to get her a tutor. All of that stuff is building the relationship. The process of becoming with someone else in the relationship is more important than the destination. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Nesava HaKadosh Baruch Hu lios leios barach dir betachtainim, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu desires to have a dwelling place in the world down below with us, what does that mean? It just means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants there to be a certain type of dwelling place? No. If that was the case, HaKadosh Baruch Hu could have already built himself a dwelling place like that. The idea is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to build this dwelling place with us. So if Yaakov Avinu says, this is the formula, then we're robbed of the opportunity of going on the journey with Hashem to build a dwelling place. So what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu expect from us? Failure is part of the process. What Yaakov Avinu is trying to do is he's trying to rob us of the opportunity to fail. In plan A, it's very beautiful. Yaakov Avinu is saying, this is the destination. We're going to get to Mashiach. This is how you get there. This is what the end looks like. No, the end... 
the end is not nearly as important as the process of learning how to arrive at an end that we end up at together. So if you're going, it's like, you know what it is? uh, My family, every summer, we went to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Every single summer, we went to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. You know, like, there's some families that go somewhere else every single summer, and there's some families that only go to one place. So my family is the type of family that we only go to one place. We went to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, the year of Hurricane Bob. We arrived there on the day of the hurricane. We put our stuff down. The police came and evacuated us. We were on the beach. We were on a beach house on the beach. They evacuated us. We had no electricity for the entire week, and my parents said, that's the place we're going for the rest of our lives. Every single summer, we went back to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. There's nothing exciting. Again, Cape Cod is awesome. I loved it. It was amazing growing up. I have tremendous akar so to my parents. If my mother's listening to this recording, Mom, I love you. It was an amazing destination. Yeah, But isn't there something very exciting about getting in a car and not knowing where you're going? Just we're going. Where are you going to be? We'll see. If you're going with somebody that you care about, and you just go, let's stop here and see what there is. So then the process of the journey is more important than the journey, more important than the destination of the journey. So that's one bechina. But then there's even a deeper dimension here. And this is what the Pasuk means, that Yaakov Avinu blessed them, each one according to their blessing. Sometimes we have to impute, you know that word impute? I'll explain what it means in a moment. Sometimes you have to impute from yourself what your destination is. It's very, very vulnerable to do this. What does the word impute mean? So let's say, for example, anyone here, you don't have to raise your hands because I don't want to like, make anyone feel uncomfortable. If you have an iPhone, yeah? If you have an iPhone, thanks, by the way. If you, have, if you, if you have an iPhone, so you can right now impute the values of Apple from the iPhone. If you want to know what, what does Apple believe in, just look at your iPhone and you'll know. They always believe in two things. Apple products are easy to use and sleek in design. Other phones are like a little bulky, you know what I'm talking about. They don't necessarily have the rounded corners. They're not necessarily white. There's a certain sleekness to Apple, and Apple products are very easy to use. If you give an Apple product to a three-year-old, you'll see that they naturally start swiping. And they, by the way, they did this when they were developing it. Steve Jobs had this guy that he worked with. His name was Johnny Ive. Johnny Ive was the designer of all the Apple products. I think he still works for Apple today. And their whole thing was they want it to be totally intuitive. So you can look at a product and know something about the product just by looking at it. The truth of the matter is that we can and should be doing the same things about ourselves. But unfortunately, because that process is very vulnerable, many of us have been robbed from this. I'll explain what I mean. If money was not an issue, and you didn't care what anybody thought about you, what would you choose to do with your life? It's a very vulnerable question, especially for those of us that are on the plan, right? And every one of us knows exactly what the plan looks like. And I'm going to make fun of it just for a minute. Even if you're on this plan, it's nothing wrong with being on this plan. But if you're on the plan to become some sort of therapist, you know, I'm talking about speech therapist, occupational therapist, physical therapist, actual therapist, hydrotherapist, that's just being a lifeguard, art therapist, play therapist, that's just playing with children, right? The... If you're on the plan to become some sort of therapist, did you decide that because that's who you are? Or did you say, well, I need to make a certain amount of money, 
and there's like an easy maslul, and I can do some quick sarishnir, Wurzweiler, fake, you know, like six-month thing, and then I can slide my way into making $150,000 without really going to college, right? You know what I'm talking about? You've been on some, right? I went to Trio, I did Excelsior, it was like, you know, like some sort of like thing, yeah? How'd you decide that? Do you know how many girls over the years have told me, I think I'm going for social work? Why? I don't know. I guess I can. That's not, like, social work is like a thing that you're going to do to spend your life with people. Do you like people? Yeah, kind of. Like, that's, that's, a, that's like, it's like a terrible thing. And then you see people that have the courage to be themselves, and these people, they don't have to say anything, they're inspiring in their essence. They're just inspiring people. What are you going to do? I think I just want to be a dancer. Well, how are you going to monetize that? How are you going to do that in a sneeze way? I'll figure it out. Right? And there's something about them. I did this recently in one of the seminaries where I teach. I asked the girls, I said, what would you be if you weren't afraid to become what you are? And this one was like, I'd be an artist. And this one was like, this one, one of them said, I want to be a trapeze artist. And I was like, you know what? Good for you. It's an amazing thing to say. Will she ever do it? I don't know. Because our community is so designed to squash any natural, like, this is who I want to be because it doesn't work within our community because we set up a certain standard of, well, you have to live like this and therefore you have to make a quarter of a million dollars in order to be poor in our community. So you need to, so everyone needs to be on that plan where they're becoming accountants, even though this guy, like a guy came to me recently, he said, Rebbe, I really want to be a therapist. I love working with people. So I'm becoming an accountant. I was like, that's the opposite, right? There's no, there's no more opposite than like going from therapist to accountant. Maybe actuary would be the next like more opposite than that. So I said, why are you doing that? He goes, because it's very risky to become a therapist. So I said to him in the gentlest way, I said, it's also very risky to become an accountant. Not because you won't make money, but because you might wake up 20 years from now and go, I could have helped people. And not that you're not helping people by becoming an accountant. If your tunas nefesh is to become, I just can't imagine it. But if your tunas nefesh <laughs> is to become an accountant, then there are many wonderful accountants. Then call a kavod to you. There's nothing wrong with being an accountant. But are you inspired to be an accountant? Most of us are not willing to look at the natural talents that we have and then to figure out afterwards how I'm going to monetize them. By the way, if you would do that, you'd make a lot more money. Because everyone in this room has amazing levels of talent. But like my father told me when I was a kid, and my father, Baruch Hashem, did well in business, and when he found out that I was going into Chinuch, he wasn't exactly happy, because it's not like a path that you, know, you can support a family on. So, so I said to him, like, Dad, this is what I love. So he said, if you love it, then you'll figure it out. And then he said to me a line, I'll never forget this, he said, you have to make your avocation into your vocation. You have to make the thing that you love into your job. Afterwards, you're going to figure out how to make enough money off of it. But do the thing that you love. Be yourself. Look inside of your soul and discover what is it about you? What's your talent? Something that you have to share with the world. But we crush the individuality out of people. It's the craziest thing. So listen to what Yaakov Avinu did. This is absolute genius. Yaakov Avinu comes and he says, my job is to structure Klal Yisrael for the future. Plan A, I'm going to tell you where we're headed. HaKadosh Baruch says, no, that's not good chinach. You're going to rob us of the journey of becoming. So Yaakov Vinu says, okay, then I have a really great plan B. Each child is going to get called in, and I'm going to tell them, this is what I see inside of you. When I look at you, I see this. And then they're going to look at themselves and go, ah, that's who I am. It's like Lamashal. Imagine you were, you were given a bag, right? And you're like, 
I don't know where I should go, right? So someone says, look inside of the bag. And you look inside of the bag and it's all winter clothing. What do you know now? My destination is somewhere cold. So where am I going? Somewhere cold. If somebody gave you all summer clothing, you would go somewhere else. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you talents, what's your obligation? I know this sounds strange because up until now, everyone's like on this path. If you have a talent and you don't use that talent, what are you really saying to God? You're saying, I don't care that you gave me this talent. I have this thing that I need to do. How could you take this talent and crush it? There's a story that uh, somebody became a Balchuva and they wrote to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he said, now that I'm from, can I still be an artist? So the Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote back, if you're an artist, how could you stop? If you're an artist, people, like I had a guy in Yeshiva came to me, he said, I'm an artist, but I don't know if I could make money that way. I said, if you became an accountant, would you be happy? He goes, I'd be miserable. I said, can you stop being an artist? He said, no way. So I said, it's not a question then. You are an artist. It's in your being. You are a dancer. You are a musician. Just figure out what to do with it. There's a guy in Yeshiva. I know many of you have seen some of his stuff. He was in Yeshiva a couple years ago. And he does music production. He's the guy that produced, uh, he's the guy that produced Ashira from Mordechai Shapiro. You know that song, Ashira? And he's producing another song with Mordechai Shapiro right now. And he's exceptionally talented. He went to college and he said to me, he goes, it's funny, I'm in college, but I already have my career. And it makes sense that he already has a career because that's his tunas anefesh. If you, if you look at him, what do you love? I love music production. If I told that guy to become a dentist, what would happen to him? He can't become a dentist. That's what he is. He's music in his bones. Some people could be dentists. Some people love to be dentists. There's nothing wrong with being a dentist. But you have to have a passion for it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you a talent. That is the destination. Every one of us has the capacity to bring Mashiach. But you know why we don't bring Mashiach? Because we're, we're not being ourselves. We're not doing the thing that we're naturally supposed to be. There's a woman who used to live on my block. She moved off of my block. Um, and she was ridiculously talented. Off the charts, insanely talented. She's a Balash Tshuva. She went to NYU Tish. You know what NYU Tish is? Tish not like a... Like, it's not like a Fabrengen. NYU Tisch is the acting school in NYU. It's one of the top acting schools in the world. And you go from NYU Tisch straight to Broadway. This was a young woman who had an agent from the time that she was 12 years old. She had one of the most prestigious internships in the country. If you're becoming an actress, so one of the most prestigious internships is to work in Disney. Because all day long you're dressed up in character, interacting with people. And she was a Disney princess, an actual Disney princess. You know what I'm talking about? Like Cinderella, like an actual Snow White, an actual Disney princess lived on our block. And, and, she, and she, we got close with she and her husband. And now she has like a ridiculously popular podcast on like Spotify on marriage. And I asked her, I said, how, like, how does that work? Like, what, what was it like to, first of all, give up? You became from, and she's like, I'm not going to Broadway. Like, I'm giving up on that dream. And how did you transition from Broadway to podcasting. Like, is that the same thing? And she said, it's absolutely the same thing. She said, when you're on Broadway, people think it's about the acting. What it really is, is about engaging with the audience. Anytime you're on stage, you're interacting with the audience. I never thought about it that way, because whenever I went to a show, I just felt like I was watching something. But the truth of the matter is that a great performer isn't just doing something. What are they doing? They're engaging the audience. They're interacting with the audience. So she said, I gave up on it because it wasn't halachic. It wasn't something that I could do within the Orthodox world. She said, but I realized I have the talent to communicate. 
So she became this life coach specializing in marriage, and she has this podcast. The reason the podcast is so good is because she's interacting with the audience through the podcast. And she said when she looked inside of her own Tchunas HaNefesh, she said, I have the capacity to interact with people. So the podcast is successful, but not because she happened to have a good idea. The podcast is successful because she looked inside of herself. She said, what talents do I have and how do I want to share that with the world? Mashiach is not a destination, like we're going, certainly there's a destination of Eretz Yisrael, but it's not, it's not like so simple, like I'm in Muncie, I have to get to Eretz Yisrael. If that's the case, just get on a plane. Mashiach is a destination within ourselves. Mashiach, in a certain sense, redemption means that each one of us is actualizing what's inside of ourself, and we're becoming the ultimate expression of ourselves. Do you notice that that's what's happening in the world today? It's not an accident that right now in the secular world, what's everyone talking about in the field of psychology right now? Everyone's talking about self-actualization. Do you think they were talking about self-actualization 100 years ago? 100 years ago, they were trying to survive. 100 years ago, they were thinking communism, socialism, democracy. It wasn't, about, it wasn't about the self. It wasn't about the process of becoming. There's a reason that the world is unfolding the way it's unfolding. The process of Mashiach is about finally actualizing the self that we have, which is why it's so incredibly tragic that right now in our community, we're doing the exact opposite of this. Rather than celebrating people's talents, we're telling people what box they should fit in. That's a crazy thing to do because you're, you're literally cutting off people's legs. That's not a way to reach Mashiach. Yaakov Avinu says, I'm not going to tell them the destination. That was plan A. Plan B is much better. I'm going to tell them who they are. I'm going to say, this is the bracha that you could one day be. I'll finish with this. I had two friends growing up. I won't tell you their names. It doesn't matter. I had two friends growing up. Both uh, amazing people. Both had very low self-esteem. For, for a particular reason, both of them had, unfortunately, very low self-esteem. And they were both very close with my father. My father, Baruch Hashem, took in a lot of kids in the neighborhood when we were little. And they, they, would, they were like, you know, hang out of my house. And my father would tell both of them, you guys could be anything you want to be as long as you believe in yourself to become that. And he would say, I see that you could be a hard worker, and I see that you have a certain talent. Both of these guys were not blessed with intellectual talent that worked well in school. Both of these guys couldn't pass a test to save their life. In fact, an old friend of mine recently reminded me, we got together, he came to Eretz Yisrael, a friend of mine from high school. He said, do you remember that the school promised us an ice cream party any time this kid passed a test? And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. He's like, do you remember that we only had three ice cream parties in four years of high school? I was like, right, that's why I forgot about it. Like, I remember we had Carvel flying saucers. And I was like, he mamish could not pass a test to save his life. That guy is the wealthiest guy in my grade. By far. By far the wealthiest guy in my grade. In fact, I was trying to get together with him this Friday because I wanted to go say hello to him. He's one of my oldest friends. He was so busy. He's like, I think I'm going to get home five minutes before Shabbos, maybe Sunday. This is one of my oldest friends. He's so busy because he's so successful. And he really, you should know, he's a Talmud Muvuk of my father. My father's not a Rebbe. My father was a businessman. But he mamish, like my father believed in him and he believed my father. And my father set him up with a business plan. And Baruch Hashem, he's tremendously matzliach.
My other friend didn't have that at all. My other friend never really listened to my dad, and he never really believed in himself. He never really felt that he had anything to offer, because that's what was told to him his entire chinuch career. You're the kid. These two guys, they were put in a class that was put in the basement of the school. They combined the 11C and 12C. You ever see when they do that? They take like the bottom kids from two grades, and they give them the, like, the most patient Rebbe, and they literally put them in the basement. And the kids themselves used to say, we would ask them, like, how's class going? They go, you mean the padded room? That's what they referred to their class as. And you know why they had to go to the padded room? Because originally they were put in the science lab. Because the science lab is not an actual class where there's like chairs and desks. and like, It's like a lab. And that was a terrible idea because the last people that should spend three hours in a science lab are the 11 and 12 seat kids together. These guys were playing with the Bunsen burners, turning on the fire, turning on the gas. Eventually, they had to go downstairs to the basement when one of them realized, you know, I don't know if they still have it, do they still have like those foot-long rulers in school? You know what I'm talking about? Did you have that growing up? So one of these guys realized, hey, we have long metal rods, and we have the rubber hoses that attach themselves to like the gas. So he made a bow, and he took the long foot-long uh, ruler, and he made an arrow, and he shot it through the window. And there was a huge crash, and the principal came running in, and he looks at the guy, and he goes, Shimon, not again. <laughs> and that was the last day in the lab. Then they moved down to the basement, and the kids referred to it as the padded room. So one of these guys was a Talmud of my father. He never considered himself a padded room guy. He always knew that he was destined for greatness. Unfortunately, the other guy, he drank the Kool-Aid, and he said, I'm a padded room guy. And basically, he avoided life. He did every single substance that a person could do, to diminish the pain that he had from basically knowing that he was a nothing. And he went through Gehenim for many, many years. One of my oldest friends, we all grew up on the same block. We were all one years old living on the same block. These were some of my closest friends. It took, I don't want to exaggerate, it took, I want to say, maybe 14 years for this guy to realize that he was good. 14 years, I mean, from the time that he was 18 years old. He got married, he went through Gehenna. I don't want to get into any of the details because I don't want to give away anything more. He went through Mamish Gehenna. He went off the derech completely. And then something happened in his life and he hit rock bottom and he rebuilt his life. It took, he was robbed of so many years of his life of being told you're a garnished. You know, there was a famous actor, his name was Zero Mastel. His, his stage name was Zero Mastel. He was actually grew up as a chassid shayid. His name was Chaim Shmiel Mastel. You know why he took the name Zero? Because when he was growing up, he had Rebbeim who said, Du bist a garnished, you're going to be a nothing. So when he, took, when he went to Hollywood and he was completely off the derech, he took the nickname Zero Mastel. This guy, my friend, was told his whole life, you're a padded room kid, you're a 12C kid, you don't belong with the rest of them. And he believed it. He drank the Kool-Aid and it destroyed him. A person has to know that every one of us, not all of us are built for school. In fact, if you're successful in school, it's not at all an indicator that you're going to be successful in life. In fact, very often it's the opposite, no? You see the kids that weren't successful at all in school. What's that famous joke? The A students are there to challenge the teachers. The B students are there to challenge the A students. The C students are there to pay tuition. And the D students is one are the ones whose names are on the school. Like after all those years, that's the one who makes it. There's a reason for that. It's because these kids, they have so much inside of them. They're not necessarily designed to sit still. I have a daughter like this, for those of you that remember. I have a daughter like this, and she's amazing. And she's in the middle of 11th grade, and we've had a countdown going for like the last six, seven years. And I say to her all the time, like, only a year and a half. You've only got a year and a half left until you're free. 
She's like, I could do another year and a half. And Baruch Hashem, she's making it. And she's great, and the school loves her. And she does well on her tests, but she's not a kid who knows how to sit in one place for a certain amount of time. In fact, uh, on one of her report cards, <laughs> this is ridiculous, she, she like got a bad grade in home economics. And I'm like, how did you get a bad grade in home economics? I know you spend all day in the kitchen baking in school. She's like, yeah, but not when I'm supposed to be there. <laughs> I was like, I only go to that class when I'm not supposed to be there. I was like, so in the time that you're supposed to be in home ec, you go elsewhere? She goes, right, I don't want to be where I'm supposed to be. I'm like, of course you do. <laughs> and she's going to be great. She's going to be amazing. It's our job as parents to tell her, so this is not your Tunas and Nefesh. You know what she said to me in the beginning of the war? My other kids are like from serious kids, you know, like very boxy, very like, so the war breaks out and they're all sitting there and saying to them. And this one says to me, she goes, Abba, I'm not good at saying to them. I said, okay, what are you good at? She's like, I'm good at baking. She has not stopped baking for the soldiers. Bali Guzma, she must have made, I'm paying a fortune for it, but I don't mind. But she must have made, I don't know, 500 cakes since the beginning of the war. Maybe 500 is not even close. Maybe it's 1,000. She's baking all day long. And it's amazing to see because that's her talent. She's coming alive. That's her redemptive moment. That's her Mashiach. She's in the process of becoming herself. We have to stop telling kids the destination of what they're supposed to be and tell people, discover where you want to go. Look inside of yourself and you'll figure it out. You don't need to become the thing that they tell you. In fact, it's very often the thing that they tell you that you don't need to become. But there are certain, it's not that people are like, but otherwise, how am I going to make money? You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. Use your talents. You'll be happy. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this out loud, maybe you'll do with a little less. Maybe you don't have to have the fanciest car. Maybe you don't have to have the biggest house. If you could trade right now, think to yourself, if you could trade right now, I'll have $100,000 less. We'll be okay. We'll make it. We'll be able to pay tuition. We'll be able to pay for everything we need. We'll have $100,000 less, but I'll get to do what I love. Or I could have $100,000 more, and I could take great vacations, and I could have a much nicer car, but I'll have to do the thing that I'm just like not passionate about at all. Would you spend $100,000 to spend your life doing the thing that you're passionate about? Of course you would. $100,000 is chump change. It's chump change for happiness. We're spending our life making so much money to be able to take that vacation. That's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Do the thing that you're passionate about. Be a rapper, right? Whatever it is, right? I'm saying like whatever, whatever it is, you have that thing. If that's you, go be you. I'm sorry for the rant. I'm so, I'm just so tired of doing this. This is Yaakov Vino at the end of his life. At the end of our lives, there's a wisdom. Every one of us gets a wisdom at the end of our lives. The wisdom at the end of our lives is, what would I look back and tell myself? If I could go back in time 50 years, what would I tell myself? I want you to know that if I could go back in time and tell my 18-year-old self one thing, it would be this. Stop trying to impress other people and just be who you are. Radical levels of self-acceptance. That's how you bring Mashiach. That's the message that we need to share for ourselves, and that's the message that we need to share with our children. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay, we'll stop here. Have a good